we are not meant to apologize for the body that we live in. And that's, that goes anywhere from trauma to, you know, the size, weight and shape of that body or the skin color of that body or the gender of that body. Mm-hmm. The first step is we're moving towards body neutrality and towards rejecting the idea that they are a good person based on what they are eating or not eating mm-hmm. and rather just learning to be in the body that we're in. Here we go. You got a marvelous vibe, and I know it starts from inside. So fill your heart with pride, and let your light shine brightly, yo, don't hide. You're a work of art, unforgettable and off the charts. Welcome to a podcast dedicated to your mental health. I'm Bailey with the Recording Library of West Texas. Hi, I'm Christy Edwards. I'm the Executive Director and a Therapist at Centers for Children and Families. Hi, I'm Melanie Size. I'm the Marketing and Development Director at Centers for Children and Families. Together, we're bringing you tips and tricks on how to navigate this thing called life. This is Center Solutions. Due to the nature of some of the topics that are discussed, listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Center Solutions. Today, we're going to talk about food anxiety that circulates around the holidays. Christy, Melanie, and I thought that it would be a good idea to talk about things like body image, self-esteem issues, eating disorders, and trauma that can come up during the holidays. So we've brought two experts onto the show today. We've got Jen Mason, licensed professional counselor, supervisor, and owner of Intuitive Healing Therapy. And we've also got Denise Del Principe, registered and licensed dietitian, nutritionist, and owner of Thoughtful Nutrition. Hey, welcome to the show, you guys. Hi. Thank you so much for having us. Melanie's going to chime in here and she's got some excellent questions. And then, of course, Christy, our therapist on the show, is just going to have a great chat today with you guys. We're great. We're so excited to be here. Thank you. So um, we're approaching Thanksgiving and the holidays. It's hard to believe. It seems like this year has either, either part of it has stretched on forever. And then now it's like, what happened? It's like we went from a long, long March to November. I don't know. Is that just me? <laughs> <laughs> Not just you. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> so we didn't, we started in March with, uh, with the experience of, you know, getting used to what living in a pandemic would be like. Um, and of course, you know, having gosh, social distancing and a quarantine, I know can create a really difficult, perfect storm for free time with beer foods for certain people and just people in general. We have, there are a lot of conversations about food around this time and whether it was food as a comfort or, or food is, you know, not so great. I know a, a lot of people were bringing this topic up on social media and in other conversation. Um, so during the holidays, this is a lot of times mostly you know, in our culture, how we celebrate, we celebrate with a feast of foods and Thanksgiving is hundred percent that time can increase anxiety. Jen and Denise, I guess if you guys want to take a turn and maybe Jen go first and describe a little bit about what you do and then we'll just, uh, we'll just jump right in. Okay, great. Okay, Thanks, Melanie. 
Um, so I am a therapist in private practice, and I have the absolute honor and privilege of walking alongside individuals and families as they work to heal their relationship with food and their body. Um, for me, most of my clients come in um, questioning whether or not they can trust their bodies, feeling like their body doesn't quite fit a mold that they think it should fit, or trying to hold themselves selves to a standard of perfection according to the thin ideal or what we call diet culture. Um, I work with a lot of individuals who have some form of trauma or traumatic grief that, that is stored in their body. And that absolutely gets in the way of the, of how freely they nourish their body. And that's nourishment for me is spiritual, physical, mm -hmm. um, and emotional relational. And so we just kind of work to heal that relationship with their body so that they can listen to their body about what's best for it. So that stuff is coming from an internal dialogue instead of from an external standard. So, yeah, I love my job. So I um, want to echo Jen in. I also work in private practice and most of my clients come in a similar mindset. And uh, it's such amazing work to be able to walk alongside these individuals who come to me with body image um, concerns with discomfort and with food discomfort and just educating, being able to educate them on how food really truly affects all parts of our body from mental relationships, physical and spiritual aspects. That's great. So as we're approaching the holidays, I'm sure you all are very familiar with the questions that come up in this during this particular season. I guess we can start with talking about intuitive eating during the holidays. Either one of you can jump in and take it. So, yeah, you know, it is interesting. A lot of um, places, from what I understand, kind of slow down during the holidays. But for our clientele, you know, our phones kind of ring off the hook because it, it's such a stressful time for them, not only learning how to navigate food, but, you know, food and social and familial um, gatherings. You know, it, it brings up a lot of anxiety and a lot of self-doubt. Um, and so for us, well, for me in my practice, um, it's helping them kind of plan around the holidays really as much as they can to know, um, you know, where they're going to be for the holidays. And, and I help them look for internal and external resources around those holidays so, um, for instance, I, I have conversations with clients around, okay, who are the safe people? Where are the safe places? We even go as far as to say, what are the, what are the comforting textures? You know, what clothing feels right on your body during this holiday? What, one of my clients wears this kind of soft, fluffy shawl, and it, it's almost, to her, is an emblem of a hug. And it feels it's kind of loose and it feels comforting, but it also, um, you know, isn't too constraining. And then, you know, I'll, I'll let Denise talk a little bit. We, we help them really stay present in the moment, um, try to avoid, you know, that anxiety that either grows out of dread from the past or worry over the future. And we help them 
kind of set a future template or a script over what to say when some of these triggering words come up, when some of, mm-hmm. you know, when they're faced with, I know a lot of my clients will say, well, you know, that they've been working with a dietitian and they have a meal plan and um, yet great aunt, great aunt Deborah really <laughs> wants them to try her buttermilk pie. And in, you know, my client's mind, well, I already had my, um, you know, I, I, I know how my body feels. I'm pretty full, but there's this like loving with food that happens. It's beautiful and social and cultural, but also really fear inducing for our clients. And so we practice different scripts on how to approach that, or we practice, um, anxiety reducing tips to let them freely just try the buttermilk pie, you know, Mm -hmm. that that's so, uh, that's really, it's so helpful to have the words or to have preparation. And I know on almost every podcast, when we talk about anxiety, Christy mentions how the, um, how it's so critical to have a plan and a protocol in place. So I think this is important. And I think there's anxiety in the holidays anyway. You're bringing a lot of family together. And right now it's weird because, we're in the middle of a situation where not everyone is agreeing on how to handle it. Yeah. And so the last thing you want to do is have said, old Aunt Martha or Deborah or whatever, not try her, you know, garlic mashed potatoes. And I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you know, and then a lot of us are used to having, you know, that family member. And it's usually, you know, grandma or mom or somebody that just wants to keep encouraging you to eat more, even when you don't want to. And this for some of us is a funny thing, but not for everyone. It can be very uh, this is very serious for many people. Right. I want to throw in there too, that while we're helping our, our clients and the individuals who come to us with this plan, also another approach and strategy we utilize is to take the experience from a, a standpoint of grace and to recognize that it may not go according to that exact plan but to know how to either come back and reflect or to um be able to sit with whatever discomfort occurred or whatever emotion was stirred from that experience that that is a great point because i think we often get into this okay now i have to if i don't take um something for from aunt deborah then i've got to go somehow and make it right so it's Mm -hmm. like no it's uncomfortable but i'm going to just sit with it and they need to sit with it and we need to be okay with it um, and that's yeah. how you teach families how to respect, you know, mm-hmm. the differences and and people's boundaries and things. And I'll, every year at this time, I laugh because at, at my front door, whenever you walk in, I have a little chalkboard sign that says, "In this house on the holidays, we don't discuss politics, religion, or other people's children." Okay, <laughs> so when you come in, it's, you get asked to leave if you break the rules, right? So, I mean, in much the same way, I think if you're, you know, it's fine that you paved the way for yourself. That you tell people, you know, you're aware of my struggle if if you're willing to share that, and I will I will set my own rules and I will push my own boundaries, mm-hmm. and I just want you to be there and love me. How do you tell your clients to handle people that don't accept the struggle, that really just kind of, you know, lessen the importance of it or don't believe in it? I mean, we are. We're faced with that kind of situation every day during the pandemic with the way that people, so I'm sure that's going to be a major conversation, but there are people that just like we all know in the world of counseling, 
that just don't think that's necessary and you just, you know, pick yourself up and dust yourself off and just go forth. So uh, what advice do you give to people when they are approaching that situation with family? Yeah, I mean, I have a couple of, um, you know, I think that that's a great question and, and what Christy's saying. So I have a, bre- a best friend and she doesn't know me yet, but her name is Brene Brown. One of her, um, one of her things that I put into practice with clients is balancing um, kind of like on a seesaw, balancing boundaries and generosity on a fulcrum or on an anchor of your integrity. So she, she calls it rumble big. And you rumble big with these relationships and with these decisions um, with a balance of boundaries and generosity. You know, the the generosity piece is this person is doing the best that they can do with what they know. Mm -hmm. And I tell my clients all the time, we are unicorns. Most people really in the world are not exposed to the principles of intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. The idea that my body alone can be what tells me when to eat, what to eat and how much to eat that, that, you know, that is something that is neurochemically already in us. As long as there's not trauma or some kind of medical condition um, getting in the way of it. And so most people don't have that information. Most people are working under the myth of diet culture which, by the way, makes about $70 billion off of us every year. So they really right. would like for us to stay mm-hmm. stuck in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they're they working under the myth that what I put in my mouth should be determined by something that they prescribe. And so one, I tell my clients, especially my adolescents, this is a hard time for them because not only, um, you know, is there, are we trying to work with their food thoughts and their body image thoughts, but they're still, you know, children and they're influenced so much by what the, their loved ones say and think about them. And that's true for my adult clients as well. And so if they can learn to balance that this person that loves them is doing the best that they can do, but also from their own integrity and values, setting boundaries around it. So mm-hmm. Christy, I would add to your chalkboard and other people's food and other would, yes. You know, it's a golden rule for my clients. I mean, we say this to parents all the time. It is a golden rule that we do not talk about foods and bodies mm-hmm. like and that that's such a such an important rule. And um, you want to talk a little bit to it because it, it doesn't matter if you think you're complimenting a body or if yeah. you think you're giving someone a compliment based on what they are or are not eating. It can have ramifications that are very destructive. You know, I that's so interesting because if you if you pay really close attention to the things that we say to ourselves mm-hmm. all the time and don't really notice uh, if there's someone around us that might be affecting like, oh, I I really need to, you know, I, I need to do something. I don't like how I look right now, whatever it is. Or if you're complimenting somebody on their weight, mm-hmm. wow, you look really great. That mm-hmm. is something we've, I think, been conditioned to believe is okay. Mm-hmm. Right. But is it really okay for everyone? Or anyone. Right. That's anyone. very true. That is very true. Yeah, because we don't know anybody, what anybody's going through. If they have any struggles or, or anything that they're working on, it's important for us to um, to really recognize where our lane is 
And I think maybe not, not a whole lot of people really know that and respect that boundary. And so that's where we, that's why we have conversations with our clients um, about predicting what conversation could happen around Mm -hmm. the holidays, especially, but then just in everyday life. And so making comments around food, like, oh my gosh, I know this food is so bad, but it's, this Mm -hmm. is the only time of year that I get to eat it can be really harmful. Number one for that person unknowingly, but then for other people around them, because, well, what if somebody else was just working on being okay with that food and accepting that food? Um, And then they hear this comment and it just solidifies or reinforces their previous thoughts around it. And that's, that's a lot of work to come to a space where you're comfortable with all foods. Yeah. That's another golden rule is no, no labeling or moralizing food. You know, you are not a good girl or boy based on what you put in your mouth or based on what you do not put in your mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, all bodies are good bodies. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we talk a lot with our clients about, I understand you're not at a place of body positivity, but let's get you at least to body neutrality. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I always ask my teenagers what they think of their elbows. Yeah. You know, do you have feelings <laughs> about your elbows? I mean, I think all the time of how it would be to brush my teeth without elbows. That would be quite problematic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've even tried it. It's just absolutely impossible. And so I have gratitude for that body part, but it's not a body part I think about a lot, you know. Yeah. Um, so reinforcing that that idea of body respect and also respecting those around you. So respect is a big point to mm-hmm. really kind of reinforce because, you know, again, we don't know what somebody else is going through. And Melanie, you brought up a good point that our so much of the way our kids or, you know, the youth were around so much of the way they view their bodies is the way that we view our bodies. Right. Um, and it's so hard because again, a $70 billion industry plus racism, sexism, ageism, and healthism mm-hmm. all n- have some buy-in to us believing like we aren't enough right. or we're too much. This idea that all bodies can, can be good bodies, all bodies have their place. You know, I, I heard on a podcast recently, you know, there's so many different species of dogs and we think this is my favorite analogy. Schnauzers or or dachshunds. Dachshunds are the weirdest shaped like mammal, I swear. <laughs> like they are so long, but they're adorable. And then you've got, you know, great Danes. Yes. Um, and we don't hold it against them that they come in such a diversity. That's um, very that's what a fantastic analogy. I love it. They each have their own place and productivity and talents. Um, And so I think if we, there's a really beautiful book um, called The Body is Not an Apology. Mm -hmm. And um, it really dives into um, this idea that we we are not meant to apologize for the body that we live in. And that's, that goes anywhere from trauma to, you know, the size, weight and shape of that body or the skin color of that body or the gender of that body. Mm -hmm. Um, And so really helping clients, like I said, 
the first step is we're moving towards body neutrality and towards rejecting the idea that they are a good person based on what they are eating or not eating and rather just learning to be in the body that we're in and allow food to have multiple, um, multiple places. Um, you know, another issue with diet culture that really bleeds into the holidays is that food, the idea that food is only supposed to be for sustenance. Hmm. Um, and truly, I mean, our tongues, it's so, it's so the word that's coming to me is miraculous. It's Mm -hmm. so beautiful what the tongue does with food. It's a part of joy. It's joy, um, comfort, the mechanical work that the tongue does. I mean, again, I talk to clients all the time about their tongue. Like, do you value your tongue? Um, (laughs) and, and food is also meant to be social mirror neurons. And I mean, so much about the way we relate to people is sensory and food is the full sensory experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and so just really trying to help them, I I call it adventures around food. You know, some dietitians call them food challenges and I I call them, I try, I call them food adventures. You know, what food adventure can we have over this holiday? I I refer to them as experiments. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Wow. That's, that's a different way of looking at it. It makes me think of mindful eating. I've heard that terminology where you take a bite and really close your eyes and think Mm -hmm. about it and make it just a full experience. Absolutely. And I know that's part of meditation. That's mm-hmm. a meditation practice. So um, I don't know. Maybe that's something to, to try out this holiday. Absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, taste is important. And who knows better now than all of us who, who are looking around. <laughs> people are losing it left and right. So <laughs> that's true. It's a bizarre world that we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, gosh, I love that. I love the the, the way that the relationship with food changes just based on seeing it from a different perspective. But obviously that takes a lot of time and work. And I know uh, people have different levels, but it just seems to me that so many of us because of our culture have some, have have experienced some kind of negativity, certainly with body image. I mean, I'd love to meet this person that's never had that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't know that they exist. I don't yeah, know I, how they could. I, yeah, with mm-hmm. with all the rules and the standards that we have set. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. It'd be very few and far between. Yeah, well, at least in you know Western culture, it's just such a part of what we are bombarded with visually on a regular basis. Yeah, so, oh, absolutely. Um, and I'm there, sure social media has to come into play with uh, what <laughs> you have to to deal with with clients. I know we talk about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Christy shares with us some of uh, the techniques and a lot of it is try to shut it down for a while because you, you, you yeah. feel like you're constantly in comparison of others. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, there's this really cool study um, out of, so it was a researcher and she, she already had one degree out of Harvard and she was getting her second degree in, um, I, I can't remember in social sciences, um, sociology or psychology was her second from Harvard. And she had already done some work with her first PhD in the, the Fijian islands. 
And she loved those people so much. So she knew she wanted to build her next dissertation in Fiji. And at that time, this was in the early, the late 80s, early 90s. Um, there were no recorded um, incidents of eating disorders in all of the Fijian islands. Mm, wow. And she, being the epidemiologist that she is, was like, why is this? And I want to figure out what this is about. And at that time, you know, they, there was a lot of poverty. They had had some bouts of famine, um, drought, and then also flood. And so there was some scarcity around food. And so truly the cherished body at that time in the Fijian Islands were large, um, you know, soft bodies, because that mm -hmm. was evidence of, you know, the ability to actually even have food in your house. Um, and so there was no shame around being large. As a matter of fact, when she got there, they just kept telling her she needed to, you know, she, you need to eat more. You need to eat more. Um, mm -hmm. So then what astonished her is around 1990, I want to say two, but it might be 94. I'm, I'm really botching the study. There started being incidents of um, anorexia and bulimia and even binge eating disorder. At that time, we didn't have that diagnostic um, code in the DSM, but what we would now classify as binge eating disorder. And so she started researching what changed. And she started doing just um, some anecdotal, like gathering of data um, by interviewing people. And around that time, for the first time, the Fijian Islands were receiving some cable network mm. and the cable network they only received like three one was a, a 24-hour news station one was um, an Australian network that had kind of like teenage soap operas and then one was the the TV station that received um, like 90210 <laughs> I mean this is dating oh, no. dating yeah. all of us a little bit right um, yeah our younger audiences are gonna not know what I'm talking about but um <laughs> they realized that the, the teenagers started being influenced by the diet culture messages mm -hmm. in this programming, even the commercials um, that were on the networks. And at, I think it took around seven years and their rates of eating disorders became identical to that of the United States. Yeah. The impact of. Yeah. And so you're right, Melanie, you know, really limiting deciding what we nourish our bodies with even mm -hmm. even our eyes even our minds um and and being very protective well yeah and i know now with you know when we were growing up i know <laughs> we had a camera you had the one shot you had to wait to get the film developed wasn't like you could sit there and go through 200 photos right and then forget about you know making yourself look you know, thinner or fixing your <laughs> acne or whatever. I mean, yes. this, no. it's so different now. So mm -hmm. complicated for them. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. I feel sad for kids growing up at this time because of that, because while technology has some really, you know, fan, we, we've got, there are great things about it. Like the fact that we are able to stay connected during a pandemic, but mm -hmm. you know, some of that, that we take in is just truly damaging. Yeah. Very to society. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but when you hear studies like that, you recognize, you recognize how um, subtle some of the influence or overt yeah. influences yeah. are. 
Yes. And, you know, and so we, I think we, like you guys are talking is you've got to be vigilant about it. And you've got to be educated about it. So you know how to handle it. Right. Instead of just going, Oh, I mean, that's the people that fall into that. There was something already wrong with them. Oh, right? yeah. So, and, and we hear that all the time. So, mm-hmm. And that is not the case is it is people that are, um, that fall under the influence or are uh, affected by the influence, not because there's something already wrong, but it connects with something that's already going on. Um, either through trauma or, um, you know, and I would call trauma anything with your family of origin that would not be healthy. So that's important to recognize. I mean, that it can, I mean, these things affect all of us collectively. uh, Yeah. And, and one of the things that we bump up to bump into is the myth that eating disorders look a certain way. Yeah. You know, there has been, and really our field did it very poorly for a very long time, even our specific niche. Um, you know, this is exact, this is where Denise and I both, um, specialize and this is kind of our passion and our niche even for a long time gave the wrong image that eating disorders are white, frail, Uh emaciated Uh females. Uh And the, the actuality is, Eating disorders and disordered eating are across the entire spectrum of bodies, the entire spectrum of age, gender, race, ethnicity. And um, so many people, kind of what you said, Christy, so many people don't seek help with disordered eating and eating disorders because they are not, quote unquote, sick enough. And they don't fit the physical mold. That's like... uh, you know, other issues when people, it's harder. I feel like we want to, as people see something wrong before we accept it. Yes. Yes. And, and I'm sitting here staring at a book on my shelf written by Dr. Jennifer Gaudiani. And it is called, it's called sick enough. And the whole book um, talks about the medical and psychological um, manifests of even dieting by just a small amount. Mm -hmm that the the havoc it wreaks on our bodies and our psychology, even at such a small extent, and then of course the full spectrum of, of truly clinically diagnosed eating disorders, that if we wait until someone recognizes that we're sick enough, we've already waited far too long. Yes. Right. Gosh. Kindness to your body is very important. Kindness to yourself. We had a podcast recently on kindness in general and how we're also desperate for that at this time <laughs> in our lives, in our, in our world. But um, that's part of what this is, is, is finding a way to be kind to yourself. And that's, that's really uh, not an easy task for many of us. Uh, this is Bailey. I have a question for you guys. Let's say we have a listener who is um, relating to this podcast. What are some signs that it's time to get professional help? Yeah, no, Bailey, that's an awesome question. Um, and it kind of touches too, because Melanie, I didn't fully answer you of what if the family doesn't recognize that the person, you know, has an issue. Right. So whether it's it's yourself or whether it's someone that um, is listening and, and their kind of spidey sense is going off about a family member. In my, in my world um, and in our niche, I think if you if you spend a lot of energy worrying over what you're going to put in your mouth, worrying over whether or not your body is acceptable or not, 
you deserve to have a professional audience. Mm -hmm. You know, the indicators of a clinical eating disorder are, are past that possibly. I mean, we've got a spectrum of eating disorders that there's something called ARFID, which is avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. And that looks a lot like picky eating or, um, you know, someone has choked and they're afraid to eat certain foods and their intake becomes smaller and smaller. Um, individuals with autism often will have. Right. Well. I was just thinking that. Yes. Yes. Um, also anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder. And then there's this huge category called OSFED, um, other specified feeding and eating disorders. And there's a huge category of it, but I think in the most, I always, I love the AA saying, um, it's simple, but it's not easy. In the simplest of terms, Bailey, what I would say is if you are expending a lot of emotional or physical energy beyond the capacity of what you want and shame has any place in your relationship with food and your body, then you absolutely deserve someone to hold space for you. That's I agree. powerful. And that, that really reaches a, a larger audience. And I think that means yeah. more than just, uh, you know, like you said, what you see or what you think is severe and it's turned into a health crisis. It, mm-hmm. it could be just that whole um, part of how we're, you know, looking at ourselves with shame, which is connected to so many issues that we all have. So, so right. many. Yeah. <laughs> So I was just having a conversation with a mentee of mine um, just yesterday, actually. <laughs> um, and he asked what the what the line was, if there was a line between a body image ideal and eating disorder or disordered eating tendencies. And in short, I just tried to explain that if your relationship with food in your body, just like Jen said, if there's any guilt or shame associated with any of that, that's where the line is. That's where it is absolutely worth your while to to seek help and you deserve to seek help in that in that headspace. And you know, it's hard, Melanie, a lot of especially parents, I mean, think for us as parents, um, I have I have three littles to I have two two and mm-hmm this idea that my child could ever get to a place where they are willing to go to such extreme lengths to change their shape or size. Um, you know, extreme lengths, meaning restriction of calories or, um, purging or using other means, you know, checking as parents, we, that is, that is a very hard reality to swallow. Mm -hmm. And parents sometimes want, myself and a dietitian or a doctor to say, okay, well, you know, her blood pressure is affected, which is very common. Um, Very often individuals with eating disorder behaviors or disordered eating have orthostatic blood pressures where they're Mm -hmm. getting lightheaded when they go from sitting to standing. I always tell parents, if your baby is getting lightheaded from going from sitting to standing, you might need to get it checked out. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, um, they're cold all the time, which shows that their Mm -hmm. body is not able to warm itself hair loss, um, teeth issues. A lot of times dentists refer to me because Mm -hmm. they are the first people to see the evidence of some of this. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's so many physical markers of clinical eating disorders. But the thing is, is if we can catch them before they're medically fragile in those ways, then it is so much easier to heal that relationship with food in their body. 
Yes. And I think that that goes along with, especially for us parents, it's, uh, it is hard to accept any kind of uh, diagnosis or, uh, you know, concern. We, we spend a lot of time in denial because it's a form of protection. And that's, that's why, that's why you guys have the jobs you have to help pull us out of it. <laughs> so we and help our we love, we love working with the whole family. It's it's so beautiful to see a family heal from these patterns. Definitely. And you know that's that's so important for for families to pay attention and and friends and just our, our little communities and take care of each other. So what are some of the what are some of the common comments? We touched on this just a little bit, but some of the things that we listening can avoid or pay attention to within ourselves that we're saying either at the dinner table at, or beforehand, especially during the holidays or what we're telling ourselves, how, what are some of those things we can stop saying and maybe something we can replace that with and be aware of? Well, I think first, if it's, if this is a new idea to somebody, I would really encourage to not stop it, to sit with it. Um, but you know, ultimately, yes, we want to stop it and reframe it, but especially if this is a new, a new journey, (laughs) I just took Jen off guard. She like, what, what do you mean? (laughs) 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 But really like, like phrases, like I shouldn't eat this, but again, it's, you know, I only eat it this one time of year and this is it. That is a sign of limits and restriction and if you're comfortable eating the food, then, then how, then, then that's where we work on reframing that to a more positive scenario of I'm allowed to eat this all year round and I know I enjoy it. So I'm going to have maybe an extra slice with the family because I'm feeling good Um, or an extra scoop. Some other, some other thoughts or phrases that, you know, I've, I've heard personally um, in just with my family and friends is I know I need to eat healthier um, that one is a big, big trigger for me to to really open a conversation. If if the friend or family member, or especially client, is willing to have the conversation of what would be help, what is your idea, what is your version of healthier, so that we can work together on making sure that it is more intuitive instead of this outside voice telling you what you should or shouldn't be eating. Because our bodies, again, are all different. They all process and absorb nutrients differently. And so if we can sit down and have a conversation while utilizing these thoughts, so we're, again, not stopping the thought from happening. We're letting the thought happen and evaluating the thought. Sitting. So let me back up. We're letting the thought happen, sitting with the thought, and then evaluating it, um, hopefully with a professional. So are there are there any things that like us parents or adults and some goals can try to avoid and, and just be mindful of yeah, when I would, we're sitting with family and just think, you know, might be good not to recommend a second helping or stop people from doing that or, you know, whatever the case is. Because I think especially us parents, sometimes we just... You know, you repeat whatever you grew up with a lot of times, and then you're you're not even aware you're on cruise control. I can speak 100% for myself on that. And I'm not perfect. I've, you know, I've caught myself making comments, too. So mm-hmm. absolutely. I relate. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think especially around the holidays, really, um, I tell 
well, like when I do food support with families, so I sit and have a meal with them. Um, you know, I t- talk about one meals are not the time to have the deep, dark conversations. <laughs> um, let's not pair, you know, letting uh, sweets, you know, Joseph know that his puppy died at, with the food. Let's yeah. let's avoid pairing sure. really hard, you know, stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. Or the fights, you know, let's not bring up that they're failing every class around food. Um, I also say, you know, I, in our house, we can talk about how yummy something is, or, mm-hmm. you know, I allow my children the right to say um, that it's not their favorite. I don't love it when they say they hate it, but I do welcome hearing it's not their favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but we aren't going to comment, you know, I have twins and my twins are 11 now. And if you saw them, they do not even look like siblings. One is very <laughs> tall, and redheaded, and one is average height and straight blonde hair. Um, yeah. They're just so vastly different. And their plate looks different every single night. Mm-hmm. And we, we aren't going to comment on the difference because each of them can intuitively feel fill their body in the way that they need to, which is mm-hmm. hard because, I mean... It's a natural observational thing for people to say, whoa, you got a lot of mashed potatoes. Yeah. But the mm-hmm. thing is, is the, the reaction of, whoa, while your intention might be, man, that looks delicious. I want to go get more. Their internal dialogue might be shame. <laughs> yeah. So don't bet. I can understand that. Don't make comments about other people's plates mm-hmm. is probably that's great advice. If we can also, start somewhere, <laughs> I would avoid, you know, oh, I'm going to have to run 10 miles to work this Thanksgiving meal off. Yeah. Like, oh, see, that's, that's exactly the kind over. of thing I would say. <laughs> yeah. Food is not something to, to be punished over. You know, we don't, yeah. we move our body for the joy of movement joy. and for how strong it feels and how, you know, I don't run, so bless you, Melanie. But for those that run, I understand the feeling of the wind in your hair. And, you know, like this is what I really we try to heal people's relationship with movement, too, because exercise has become not a four letter word, but however many letter word, Mm -hmm. you know, to a lot of our clients that we don't work off food. Also, um, you know, there truly there is no label. There is no healthy or unhealthy there is no good food, bad food. This is my favorite one because it's not yet in the DSM, but eventually there's a diagnosis called orthorexia, mm-hmm. and that's a fixation on clean eating. And I always ask my clients that come in with orthorexia tendencies, what did you do to make it clean? Did you wash it? Is there, you know, like, I don't understand this clean food, like the label. There's not clean and unclean food. We talk about, and and Denise and I were talking right before we started the podcast, about the two V's and the three T's. Mm -hmm. So the two V's are variety and volume. I have had clients come into my office with a clinical eating disorder that are only eating, and and we're talking a restrictive eating disorder, only eating bean and cheese burritos. And you can imagine Mm -hmm. how the shape their body was in as far as uh, medical, their gut health, all of that. Right. And I've had clients that I had to hospitalize because all they were eating basically was kale, Mm -hmm. kale smoothies, kale wraps, kale salads. Both ended up in the hospital. Both had significant medical complications, but it was because they were not eating the correct variety and volume of food for their body. It wasn't because either food is good or bad. Wow. And that's that's where the myth uh, is, is Mm -hmm. that it's you, you really in your mind, you think the kale 
Mm-hmm. That's the yes. Yeah. Yes. And there, and you know, there's this other beautiful thing about, um, there's some really amazing relationship in this body of research called health at every size. It's a, a health, it's a political and social movement, but it's also a body of research. And, um, it talks about how weight, well, it talks about how the BMI is completely inaccurate. It's really not measuring anything. Um, but it talks about how the correlation of shame to the food you're eating is a much higher predictor of medical, like cardio, cardiovascular complications, diabetes. It's the shame that has a str- stronger correlation, not the, the food itself. Wow, that's fascinating. Just, I, I feel like we've learned so much. I mean, we could just have this conversation for, you know, a couple hours. We definitely uh, need to have them back on the show again. Well, yeah. we, we know we can talk forever. So sorry. And thank you. <laughs> no, it's, it's really wonderful. And there's, I mean, there's so many different layers to this topic, honestly. Uh, it, you, you both have done a, a beautiful job of bringing it all in together in summary. Um, but definitely we want to know some information about you guys. Where do, where does someone begin if they, they realize, okay, yeah, this kind of sounds like a problem for me. What, what do you suggest? Uh, where do people start? Um, so, you know, I think best practice to working with someone who has, um, you know, issues with food in their body. I always like to work in tandem with the dietitian because that allows, their journey with the actual foods. And I I don't have a science degree. I mean, she has a master's level degree in food science and I chose therapy on purpose. Um, So having her be able to bust through the myths from a scientific medical perspective while also helping them practice body kindness. And then a therapist also, you know, having both of us on the team plus a doctor who lovingly is at least open to intuitive eating and health at every size. Mm-hmm. There's also, so having the full team is, is really, I mean, again, it's kind of a unicorn. We don't, we have a lot of, we don't have a lot of resources down here, but there's some amazing books. Um, when your teen has an eating disorder is great for parents um, who are struggling with a teen who has um, any form of eating disorder, anti-diet, is a book by a dietitian named Christy Harrison. She also has a podcast called Food Psych. And if anyone is just curious, Christy Harrison will give it to you with a spoonful of sugar and maybe a little vinegar, and you're going to love it. Um, Also, The Eight Keys to Recovery from an Eating Disorder by Carolyn Costin is kind of my Bible for eating disorder work. It's got journal entries, and, you know, it's really a safe place to start. what else? I really love the, maybe not so much for like straight eating disorder work, but for relationship around food and body, eating in the light of the moon mm-hmm. by Dr. Anita Johnston. Um, and then just to throw on another podcast in there, Love Food yes. by Julie Duffy Dillon. She's a food peace dietitian and she too will give it to you with a couple spoonfuls of sugar and a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, the revolutionary protocol of intuitive eating. It is, it is a book. It is a workbook. It is the authors have all kinds of resources. Um, And so, you know, they can always call Denise and I locally um, and we've got connections all over the state and, and nationally too. So, you know, we just, we really are passionate about this topic and we hope everybody can go have a Thanksgiving that is food adventures 
Yeah, uh, I love that. Food adventures. What a great what a great way to well wish our audience with food adventures at the end of this podcast. And thank you guys so much for joining us. We'll make sure that your information is on this podcast. Um, and you guys have a happy Thanksgiving. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, you guys too. so much. Thank you, ladies. Bye. Okay. Bye. Um, bye. Thanks, ladies. Thanksgiving is just around the corner, and we want to say thanks to all of our listeners who have been with us on this journey of Center Solutions, our mental health podcast, which is a collaboration between the Recording Library of West Texas and Centers for Children and Families. Contact our two guests that we had on the show today. Contact Denise Del Principe at thoughtfulnutrition.com that's thoughtful with two l's nutrition.com or denise at thoughtfulnutrition.com contact jennifer mason at 806-544-2615 or jennifer mason at intuitivehealingtherapy.org and all of us are on all social media platforms Center Solutions is a production of the Recording Library of West Texas. Post-production work is done by Bailey Hennis. Content is provided by Melanie Size and Christy Edwards. Contact Centers for Children and Families at 432-570-1084 or the Recording Library 432-682-2731. Email Melanie with questions you want answered on the show at msize at centerstexas.org. That's M-S-A-I-Z at C-E-N-T-E-R-S-T-X dot O-R-G. Both nonprofits are on all social media platforms. See you next time.